Hey, Storm Freaks, it's Phil, and we continue with part two of our storm training series. Uh, we got storm chaser Dr. Reed Timmer talking about forecasting your storm target. And then I also make sure that the shape of the ejecting upper system hasn't changed too, too dramatically as well. And I make sure I'm charging everything, charging my drone, my cameras. I'm making sure that Gizmo produces a stool. It's very important for Gizmo to take a dump. We'll also bring you more hashtag weather fools. We got Weather Trollbot 5000. It's all on episode 138 of the Stormfront Freaks. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Hey, welcome uh, to the most entertaining weather podcast. This is the award-winning Stormfront Freaks podcast, part of the Stormfront Freaks network. Uh, thanks to our Patreon members for supporting the show and joining us tonight. We've also got a new member, uh, Candice, uh, has joined us as well. We got uh, Dan and Angela are in the house. We got uh, Curtis, Josh, Garrett. Uh, they're all live watching as well. Um, you're going to want to join us because uh, some of the guests we've got coming up soon, uh, we've got Picos, Hank Shima, we've got Ginger Z, Aaron Jajak uh, is going to be coming on, Reed, Jessica Moore, uh, some great people, just a handful of the folks that you could see. You can also chat with live if you join us at patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, I don't know if you saw this, uh, I believe it was uh, here this past weekend, I saw American Ninja Warrior and our old guest from episode 69, Joe Morofsky, the Ninja Weatherman. Uh, he qualified for finals, so he is going to Vegas, uh, which he's, he's done so before. Awesome. He's done that before, but yeah, yep. it was pretty cool to kind of see him uh, still climbing you know like a monkey on those all those obstacles they have to do uh which is which is crazy i wonder uh, what they were named oh i'm sorry was that you know it's that's a good point <laughs> uh and, and i might have i might still have the sound bite from when he did our lightning round so so when joe morofsky was on the show his lightning round we called it uh read you like this it was toy or obstacle and so I would give him, I would just give the name of something. And he had to, he had to answer, was it the name of one of the American Ninja Warrior obstacles? Or was it the name of an adult toy? And you would, you would be shocked. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this. You can listen to a little if you want. All right, the next one, uh, it's called The Little Rooster. Oh, is, that, oh. is that a toy or an obstacle? I got, I'm, going on, I'm going unknown. Yeah, we're gonna say we're gonna say toy on that one. That is correct. Uh, that is a toy. All right, we got uh, the battering ram. Is that a toy or an obstacle? That is so incredibly awesome, Joe. I'm so sorry because it's an obstacle. That's it why is an obstacle. Oh. Believe it or not, the battering ram These is an obstacle. Probably... Oh, it's so good. The pole grasper. The pole God. grasper. Oh, my God. You know, the more we get into this game, the more I realize now they should probably change the names of these obstacles. So, yes. That is an obstacle. That is an obstacle. Yeah, so, so that was oh a lot God. of fun because, yeah, the names of these American Ninja Warrior obstacles they have to go through are, are questionable. Like, these, the names are like, that's kind of a weird name for a 
He was good at it though. He got three of the three there. I mean, he did good. Yeah, he knew, and that's and then he got a kick out of it because he's like, "Oh my god, I didn't realize how dirty these sounded, uh, how it was." But anyway, um, uh, I also wanted to to let you guys know it's it's happy hour. If if you're not familiar with the show, every time we record, doesn't matter what time, and it happens to be Saturday night, which is kind of unique but perfect uh, because it's a great way for us to introduce the co-hosts that are with us tonight. And find out what they're drinking and let you know we like to have a lot of fun here. Um, so I'm going to start, uh, as I usually do, with our producer and Skywarn coordinator up in Minnesota. MJ, what are you drinking? I'm uh, cleaning the fridge out of the Liney's Summer Shandy because, you know, oh. getting late in the season here. It's hot, though, too. Oh, That's good. I've got some of that, too, I was going to grab. Nice choice. All right, uh, Serena, former meteorologist at the uh, Mount Washington Absor- Observatory. What you got here tonight on the East Coast? Uh, tonight I am drinking a peach cobbler style sour ale. Wow. So I got peach and cinnamon and beer. It's awesome. Nice. Wonderful. Did you make it? No, no. This comes from, um, mountains walking, uh, brewing company, um, out of Montana. It's hmm. amazing. That sounds Very awesome. nice. All right, Jen, our, our con. So here you got it, Jen. I'm now calling you a contractor. Uh, at the Weather Channel, and I keep thinking you're a contract killer, uh, but I just want every... Well, when I say that, it sounds funny, like you're a contract. So, Jen, just so everybody knows, Jen is not a contract killer. She is a uh, contractor with the Weather Channel, but also a uh, social media specialist. But what are you drinking? Oh, my God, you guys. So, it's a struggle tonight. I actually have Patron, and I was getting ready to have some fun, but I have coffee right now. I might have Patron later. <laughs> But. Put it in the coffee. What the hell? I know. Yeah, get Pumping crazy. In. Get crazy. Actually, it's true. They make coffee tequila, so I should do that. Okay. So, all right. So, I, I wanted, as, as I mentioned earlier, we got a special show tonight. It's part two of our three-part storm training series. Uh, and the goal is we're trying to bring meteorologists and, and storm chasers who've created some of, of what I feel are the best training resources uh, presentations and videos that they've created themselves. In the last episode, we had uh, episode 137. We covered storm forecasting from, you know, 30 to 14 to just two days out. And, and so tonight, we're going to kind of be covering storm target forecasting. Uh, so Serena, go ahead and introduce our, our esteemed guest this evening. Yeah, absolutely. So having intercepted over 1,000 tornadoes, and a dozen powerful hurricanes, Reed is well known as the most successful and extreme storm chaser in the world. He's one of the few people to document both an EF5 tornado and an F5, uh, yeah, a category five hurricane. Um, So Reed, I mean, here we are, for those who know, we listen to the show, we record a little earlier than you hear it. Here we are the eve of a you know, hurricane making landfall in an area that it hasn't made for, you know, almost 30 years. So give us some idea of, you know, what are people looking at? Where, where are you starting to, you know, understand where you want to go and where's your target? It may be a little different for a hurricane, but, you know, start, start cluing us in here a little bit on what do you start looking at the day before to figure out where you're going to go? Well, first I have to decide if I'm going to go or not, certainly. And, and there is a different forecasting process for tropical cyclones versus tornadoes and supercell storms. I definitely have different criteria for those as well. It used to be that basically a category three or higher hurricane and I would go out and intercept every single one of those. But since I was working for AccuWeather, I'd intercept every single tropical cyclone, tropical depression, tropical storm, 
all of those. And so you're trying to dig out the worst of the impacts and be able to cover those safely as well, but also with immersive coverage to be in uh, that, 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 uh, th those conditions. And as a storm chaser, I like to experience firsthand the most extreme portion of the storms, the strongest wind, the heaviest rain. I've also really gotten into chasing flash floods as well through uh, my friendship with David Rankin, who grew up in Southern Utah, chasing the debris plugs and flash floods down there in the southwestern U.S. And he taught me a lot of those techniques for chasing flash floods. So I think with Henri, uh, I would initially try to get right on the coast and definitely to the east of the center because with these systems that are transitioning almost from a tropical system into an extra tropical system, their wind fields tend to expand. They often will be east side loaded with a lot of storm surge, well near the center and well off to the east. And then I would start looking for the bays and the uh, concave portions of the shoreline where I think that the onshore flow will meet up with the concavities in the shoreline to try to look for the most prolific storm surge. A lot of times you're dealing with roadblocks out there too. Some of the areas that get the worst storm surge aren't accessible. Sometimes you have to get out there before the roadblocks are set up and then you kind of have to keep a low profile when you're out there uh, near the coastline to cover that storm surge firsthand. But one thing I've learned with hurricanes and tropical cyclones is it, it's an absolute circus out there, especially one that is hitting the East Coast. Uh, there's going to be nonstop media coverage. There's going to be standups up and down the coast. Hundreds of storm chasers are going to be heading out there to shoot that video. Media is going to be saying what idiots we are for being out there, even chasing the storm. And it's just a, a, a massive circus when you're chasing a storm with such a gradual buildup as Henri. So I think that if Henri was a little bit stronger, maybe a category one for sure at landfall or a little bit stronger, or if I had some fire in my ass a little bit, I would head out there and uh, definitely chase it. But I just got back from chasing the flash floods in Western North Carolina, the mountains there, one of the biggest rainfall events ever in Pisgah National Forest. And then I just chased down a tornado a couple days ago near the Nebraska-Colorado border and actually lost my drone in that tornado. I went back to look for it, and the final GPS coordinates were right in the middle of the flash flood. Uh, so, I had, uh, so I'm a little bit tired, but normally I'd be out there standing on the coastline, slinging live briefings, letting everybody know that this thing is coming in. But definitely it is a different forecast process for tropical cyclones versus tornadoes. Tropical cyclones are much more gradual buildup. It's like a locomotive coming from you know, multiple days away. You know it's going to make landfall, and you just kind of have to stand there, cover the impacts, cover the preparation for the storm. Uh, it's more about the people than it is about the meteorology a lot of times for uh, these tropical cyclones that are coming in on the East Coast as well, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, but I'm definitely uh, uh, more into the small-scale finesse-type storm chasing, like the tornadoes, the big-time hail, these flash floods, working the, the, the drainages and creeks and everything, and trying to figure out where the rainfall maxes uh, intersect with these drainages, but definitely different forecasting techniques for hurricanes uh, versus tornadoes. So, so, uh, so Reed, so, so you mentioned that, so you're talking, you obviously like the, the finesse of, of the, the more of the tornadoes and, and severe storms like that. What, and, and you just, uh, early before we started the show, you talked a little bit about possibility of chasing uh, Nebraska tomorrow. So, so talk a little bit about, so what are you looking at now tonight for that? As you talk now a little bit about uh, tropical storms, w what are you looking at tonight to kind of help before you go to bed to, to kind of help you decide and think about target area and if you even want to chase it? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely uh, a chase, I think. If, if there's a non-zero chance of a tornado, I'll be out there. And I like to take a top-down approach initially, looking higher up in the atmosphere 
First, I start to look at the shape uh, of the troughs that are ejecting from the Rockies over the Great Plains. And uh, I like those troughs that start off with a positive tilt and then gain a neutral tilt upon ejecting. I look for those troughs that are intensifying with time. Basically, that go from the shape where that trough axis is kind of stretched out from southwest to northeast to go into a more neutral tilt upon ejection. And I feel like those generate the most favorable wind shear north and south across large warm sectors. But even if you do have a positively tilted trough ejection, you can still carve out uh, little areas within the warm sector where the conditions can come together, the kinematics and the thermodynamics to produce tornadoes. But I'm definitely into the shape of the troughs these days. Is it an intensifying uh, upper level system or is it weakening with time? Uh, is it gaining a positive tilt and kind of shearing out over a summertime subtropical uh, high pressure area? Uh, factor in that as well. And if it's a more shearing out system uh, with uh, a positive tilt upon ejection, then I use a different uh, technique to, to forecasting those types of a system, uh, those types of systems. Usually they're more progressive. A lot of times the conditions will evolve a little bit more rapidly. I use a different set of models uh, for those weakening, uh, quickly uh, shearing out type of upper level systems during the late season. But right now we're dealing with more ridge runners too. So oftentimes these storm systems, instead of digging out and gaining that negative tilt or sometimes even transitioning to a positive tilt and then cutting off, usually they're weakening and they'll shear out over top of an anti-cyclone. So you look at different things uh, uh, for those types of, of systems. Can, can I... Can I add, Reed, while you're talking about that, can, can you also uh, mention, like, where are, you, where are you finding that information, you know, to help other people? So as you're talking about what you're looking for, uh, help others know, okay, where are you finding that information uh, and seeing that, too? Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I thought that would be important to share. No worries. Uh, yeah, a, a great place is to look for forecast model data. Pivotalweather.com is one that I use quite a bit, uh, run by some old friends at the University of Oklahoma uh, there, the weather.cod.edu page uh, also has some great forecast models. And I look at usually the mid to upper portions of the troposphere when I'm looking at uh, the shape of these troughs that are ejecting. I look at 500 millibars, 300 millibars up into the upper troposphere and try to look at the shape of the upper level systems ejecting. And then I start focusing in on the low-level jet. So I'm a big kinematics person, person which means that I really focus on uh, the wind shear component. I believe that if a storm is surface-based and has a sufficiently low cloud base, and if it has a wind shear that's properly aligned given the storm motion, then it's just physics and it's going to become a, a tornado producing machine. So usually I look at the uh, upper level system, the uh, evolution of it, is it transitioning to a neutral tilt and then to a negative tilt? And then I try to paint a picture of what the low level jet might look like in my head, given the shape of the upper level system and the upper level trough ejection. And then I look at the low level jet and just try to see how accurate uh, my rendition of the low level jet might've been. And I look for the noses of those low level jets. Uh, there are certain things that I'm looking for uh, where I think that tornado potential is maximized, usually on the nose of a uh, strong low level flow. You often get more directional shear as well. I look at the nose of uh, moisture surges uh, within warm sectors and uh, I look at uh, the, the presence of capping inversions as well to see if those storms are going to be surface-based. And uh, I also look at a surface low track. So uh, oftentimes, especially when you're chasing in the Mid-South out there, sometimes it can be advantageous to, to chase the uh, absolute surface low track and then further south of the surface low. A lot of times the low level flow can veer out a little bit. You can lose a little bit of your uh, strong uh, wind shear and, and those favorable critical angles. 
So I use all those websites, pivotalweather.com, weather.cod.edu. There are numerous model websites out there that are also pay. Uh, tropicaltidbits.com is a great website to uh, track tropical cyclones and look at hurricane reconnaissance data that's coming into real time as we have Henri that's heading toward the northeast. But then, of course, it's very important to look at that surface map. And I know a lot of old school meteorologists will bring out their colored pencil set and uh, try to draw, you know, on the map to uh, do that and then do a little cool signature in the bottom right. Sometimes I'll do that with Microsoft Paint and a little Photoshop, but I kind of try to create the image in my head. I don't quite have the patience to, uh, and I don't have a, a personal colored pencil set either, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that or a signature in the bottom right, but I definitely do try to uh, do some analysis of the surface maps uh, and the, the real observations that are coming in to try to see if those uh, forecast models have an accurate initialization of the of the setup. And then you start looking at your convective allowing models. I personally dislike the uh, HRRR model just because it handles low-level moisture so poorly, especially out here in the high plains and the, the higher terrain. Uh, so I'm definitely a three-kilometer NAM type guy for the high plains, but I do use the three uh, the HRRR where mixing out of moisture is not going to be a concern, and you have such deep moisture that it just can't possibly make a mistake. But a lot of times the HRRR is right for the wrong reasons, so I definitely start to look at those small-scale uh, forecast models and go from a top-down type of an approach. And then at the very end, I'll start to look at composite reflectivity forecasts just to see if what I think is going to happen is still being is playing out uh, within the uh, short range forecast models. So I have a quick question. When you take a look at, at all those different things, some of those are going to be more favorable for tornadoes. Some of those are going to be more favorable for large hail. Some of, you know, what are some of those differences that you're seeing in those, those maps and that analysis you're just talking about that kind of indicate or lean a little way one, you know, one way or the other more about what you're going to expect to see? Well, with tornadoes, I definitely focus in on the low-level shear and the wind fields being properly aligned. So you need that uh, storm motion to really turn in to the low-level jet and ideally be perpendicular to that low-level jet, uh, a critical angle relatively close to 90 degrees. Hodographs are a great tool uh, to analyze uh, just how favorable uh, low-level and deep-layer wind shear are for tornadoes and supercell storms. Uh, my old office mates at the University of Oklahoma, Don Giuliano and John Esterheld, actually invented the critical angle. So you hear about the critical angle mentioned a lot on these hodograph plots. And uh, they showed uh, that a 90-degree critical angle is ideal because you're pulling in purely streamwise vorticity at the low levels. But as long as uh, storms are surface-based and they have a significant or sufficiently low cloud base and the wind shear is properly aligned and you have at least... 20 knots, 20, 25, 30 knots uh, of, of a low-level jet, uh, then uh, the, the physics are such that that storm will likely turn into a tornado-producing machine. But you also have to look at storm mode and whether you're going to get supercell storms or if it's going to be a squall line. And for that, I look at the speed of the initiating boundary, whether it's a cold front, a dry line, uh, a Pacific front. And if that uh, the speed of that uh, uh, initiating boundary is slow enough relative to the storm motion that is perpendicular to that advancing boundary, then those storms are going to be able to move off that boundary no problem and then become supercell storms. And you're not going to get a forced convective evolution where you get a skinny squall line surging at like 100 miles an hour and, you know, almost like a little bit of a squall uh, type of a squall line situation. But I also uh, I do hail forecasts as well. And there are some setups that are prime for hail that don't look as good for tornadoes. And I think that 
an important part in hail forecasting is definitely geography and the location of those storms, uh, usually in the high plains further west. Uh, if it's a supercell storm and it's rotating with a mesocyclone, it's going to be capable of producing gorilla hail, likely larger than baseball size. If it's a rotating updraft and it's in the high plains, you're going to have a stout elevated mixed layer. You're also going to have a lot of directional shear as well. I've noticed that those shear profiles where directional shear is a bigger contribution than the speed shear, uh, you usually get bigger hail with those setups. And then out in Dixie Alley where you get more speed shear contribution, more uh, unidirectional profiles with height where most of that wind shear is uh, contributed from the speed uh, instead of the direction, then sometimes those storms will hardly produce hail at all. And one thing I've noticed with those big Great Plains events where you get like six, 7,000 Cape, just because you have high Cape doesn't mean it's going to produce big time hail. And in fact, I've seen some of the largest hail I've ever seen are on the lower end Cape days with a really strong directional shear. Uh, but I definitely do look for those storms that are producing very large hail because I enjoy chasing massive hail and blowing out my windows four to five times a year, equally, if not even more than uh, intercepting tornadoes. <laughs> oh my gosh, Reed, I feel like we could talk to you for like, you know, a day or more about all this. This is so fascinating. And I just would love to ask you, since you've traveled um, all over the country chasing storms, is there anything you specifically look at um, differently in the, you know, typical tornado alley compared to Dixie Alley and like the Ohio River Valley? Is there something like distinctive that you found in your chase and that you're like, oh, I have to make sure I look at this specific indice more and weigh that more than others when it comes to chasing in those different areas? Definitely. There, there's definitely different things that I look for in Dixie Alley versus the High Plains. And I try to look for a theme or a personality in the uh, outbreaks, starting with Dixie Alley, which is usually in the early spring. Sometimes it'll go into the middle uh, part of the spring as well. But you start to establish a personality for the ejecting troughs pretty early on in the Dixie Alley season. And for example, this year, I started noticing that this was the event of the prefrontal trough and uh, kind of the prefrontal band of supercell storms that would develop well ahead of the front and usually well south of the surface low as well, because complexes of the storms would get going and kind of curtail the progression, northward progression of the nose of the low level jet. So this year was definitely the year to head south and play those prefrontal troughs, play the instability. The maximum of wind shear would often be a little bit further south of the surface low. I picked up on that uh, personality of the Dixie Alley setups a little bit late this year. And even when I did pick it, pick it up, I still found a way to botch those uh, early Dixie Alley setups and miss, missing a lot of tornadoes. Uh, so it, it would have been smart to play well out in advance of these setups and allow these storms to come to you because those prefrontal troughs were firing all the supercells. And if you played the surface low track, it wouldn't have been as effective in Dixie Alley as previous years. But then a couple of years ago, and like 2015, 2016, and back in, in the Yazoo City uh, day too, 2010, that big outbreak where it was just one lone storm. Then it was smart to target directly the surface low track, which would often be rapidly ejecting. So if you fell behind the surface low, the low level shear would often veer out and then you, there wouldn't be any tornadoes to the south of the surface low. But right along the surface low track, even a lone supercell storm would anchor on that surface low and produce a tri-state tornado like happened with the Yazoo City event. So I try to look for certain personalities that will play out, whether it's a Dixie Alley season or traditional Great Plains or High Plains Insanity or the Corn Belt uh, with derechos and those Ridge Runner type setups, which would have been big time this year to play. I should have 
rented an apartment for the summer in Davenport and just chased southern Wisconsin and northeastern Iowa, southeastern Minnesota all summer. And you would have seen a lot more tornadoes. But it was definitely the season of the outflow boundary as well, the Great Plains this year. And I was so upset with that personality of the Great Plains season that I refused to target the outflow boundaries. I feel like outflow boundaries are kind of a way to cheat wind shear and to generate favorable conditions for tornadoes when it's not there on a larger scale at the large ejecting trough. But it's definitely important to pick up on the personalities of the different regions as the year plays out and then hedge those ways despite what the models are showing. Like this year would have been a, a great idea to hedge south and east and just play Meridian, Mississippi over and over again, kind of the southeastern mode, a little bit south of the ejecting surface flow there in Dixie Alley. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's always storm season. And uh, obviously the tropical storms are here with Henri already coming in at helicity.co slash SFF. They've got a huge selection of weather and hurricane-themed merchandise, including Stormfront Freaks shirts, uh, beverage containers, stickers, you name it. All you got to do is go to their exclusive site at helicity.co slash SFF, and you're going to earn 5% off your entire order. And while you're there, uh, don't forget to click on the Brands tab, and that's where you're going to find all your Stormfront Freak favorites. Again, that's at helicity.co slash sff so it's time for a break uh we'll be right back with more from reed so stay tuned let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat delicious things to eat the popcorn can't be beat the sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, welcome back. Uh, it's the second in our three-part storm training series. We got Reed Timmer sharing some great knowledge already, and and Reed. So you know, we talked a little bit about kind of what you're looking at night before, before you go to bed, kind of uh, things you're looking at, models you're looking at, um, even I'm sure probably very similar the day of. But tell me a little bit about when when you're getting up in the morning. What are you? What are the differences you're looking for, and or the differences that maybe scare you away from what you saw before you went to bed, and then what you saw when you got up in the morning, that that might make you either more excited or ready to maybe call off something you were going to chase. Well, one of the biggest deal breakers with storm chasing are the evolution of overnight complexes of storms or MCSs, especially this year when a lot of the setups kind of had diffuse upper level patterns and you get the development of these big complexes of storms that would evolve overnight. And uh, sometimes if those complexes of storms are big enough and overwhelming, then they can prevent the atmosphere from destabilizing during the next day. And they could definitely totally destroy a severe weather event. Even some of the really big ones, some of the biggest outbreaks, uh, a lot of times they're associated with a lot of upper level energy, a lot of cyclonic curvature loft, and they're very effective at generating these nocturnal complexes of storms. So that's one thing that I look at when I wake up first thing in the morning is I try to see if there's a complex of storms or how big is it? Uh, is it is the atmosphere going to recover back behind that uh, complex as well? 
So that's one of the uh, things that I definitely look at. Sometimes those complexes of storms are needed, though. They can leap behind an outflow boundary, uh, basically acting as almost a pseudo warm front that can enhance, enhance wind shear along it. It can enhance moisture thermodynamics as well. So sometimes those complexes of storms are needed depending on the setup. If it's one of those corn belt type setups where the upper level system is shearing out over top of a ridge, Sometimes those have kind of marginal wind shear and they need an outflow boundary left behind by a complex of storms to really uh, get those ingredients necessary for tornadoes. So sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I'm hoping there's a complex of storms and an outflow boundary is getting left behind. And if there is, then I start uh, analyzing the short range models and I try to assess if the atmosphere is going to have the ability to recover afterward. I use the rat model a lot for that. And, uh, you use a lot of visual observation, a lot of radar, a lot of surface obs as well to kind of see just how strong that stable air is being generated by a complex of storms. And then I also make sure that the shape of the ejecting upper system hasn't changed too, too dramatically as well. And I make sure I'm charging everything, charging my drone, my cameras. I'm making sure that Gizmo produces a stool. It's very important for Gizmo to take a dump the morning <laughs> of a storm chase because it kind of sends all the energy, all the good vibes get going. And oftentimes we see a tornado. That goes uh, both ways too, buddy. Yeah. Right. I, I, Everybody I, needs I, a good uh, stool. <laughs> yeah, especially in our middle ages. That's kind of one of the things that we're banking on is producing a good quality bowel movement in the morning. And, you know, with Gizmo being an older dog, it's definitely sometimes she'll go three days without going to the bathroom. She hedges a little bit on the constipation side and went around the road and she's constantly driving with me. Then it even gets a little bit worse. So I, I start getting OCD about it. And then I, I'm like, sometimes we'll even start at like four in the morning, start going on a walk just to get that stool produced ahead of the storm trees. Oh All my right. god! I feel like we've got a weird peek behind the scenes. It's like, oh, Reed didn't have a good storm chase day today. His dog didn't go to the bathroom. I mean, that's that's really <laughs> ties down. Like, comes back to it out, man. That, that's oh, what man. everybody's tuning in for. I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah. Right right so, there. so tell you what, like going back in time, like so, I remember chasing in like you know the early two thousands out in Oklahoma, and there were some interesting, um, I guess I call them theories for lack of a better term, right now, where it's like you know, small bulges in the dry line and interesting peaks in the dew point and all this kind of stuff. What are some of these like odd little nuances? You know, I don't even want to call them like wives tales, but maybe some things that some people would have considered to be the case beforehand where you're like, actually, these are really good indicators to help me target, you know, where to go. Do you ever see, see things like that with like specific, you know, measurements that you're like, oh, that, that actually gives me some idea where to go? I certainly do. And I, I still hang my hat on a lot of those as well. Some of those old school theories that we had back in the day when we first started storm chasing the dry line bulges, the little mesoscale bulges within the dry line. You can get more convergence, a little bit of back low level flow as well to kind of enhance that low level shear. So I'm definitely looking for bulges in the dry line or any initiating boundary uh, as well as we used to back in the day. But when I was in school at, at OU, a lot of people wouldn't chase a storm if it had under 3,000 Cape. I remember Cape was a really big deal back then, but we've kind of learned now that low-level shear is definitely a, a bigger deal. And as long as the cloud base is sufficiently low and it's a surface-based storm, and if you have strong uh, wind shear that's properly aligned, then you're going to get tornadoes. Uh, so, but back in the day, everyone was like, man, if it has below 3,000 Cape, I'm not even chasing, even though I would chase all the setups no matter what, just because I love to storm chase so much. I think that that kind of bit those people in the ass a lot by not chasing those lower cape, high shear days. But that's one theory that 
was a, around in the early days of the late 90s into early 2000s that I think has definitely been debunked. And we didn't have social media back then as well. So when you're storm chasing and you, you start to have all this information flooding in in real time, radar, short range models, other storm chasers saying the storm that they're on, I think it's important to block out a lot of that information and just focus on your journey, focus on your storm chase. And then afterward, then you can look and see what all the other storm chasers have seen. And uh, because now it seems like being aware of a tornado that's out of reach can definitely be uh, have a crippling effect on your storm chase and can cause you to miss tornadoes and it can cause your main target area to for you to lose sight of your original forecast. So I think that the key to modern storm chasing is being able to filter through that, that information, sticking to what you know and how you storm chase and kind of chasing how the old school people did that where if you're on a rotating storm, you chase that thing until it dies because you're simply not aware of the other storms that are around you. And I think that that's kind of a happier, more effective way to storm chase. But there's a lot of great valuable information that comes in really quickly and fast. And I think being able to learn how to filter out the bad information and using that information to your gain is important. And definitely using visual interpretation of the storms out there as much as you can, because your eyes don't lie to you. And you see a storm that looks like it has a chance of producing a tornado and it's already going through the motions uh, radar is not going to provide you any information that's going to help out with that storm chase. So I think it's important to use your eyes. That's the most valuable tool out there when you're when you're storm chasing. So, Reed, I want kind of want to play off of uh, Serena's question when it comes to like specific things that you look at in an area. And one of the things is like topography. Oh my gosh! Hi, There's Gizmo. Gizmo is so adorable. Hi. Oh my goodness. Welcome. Welcome to the show. You're so adorable. Um, so Reed, I, I have to ask you, I have to ask you really quick when it comes to topography, like we have in Atlanta, we've got like a mini tornado alley in like Noonan. Is there anything specific you look at in different regions? Yeah. And there's definitely, um, kind of hot spots that I've learned over the last 20, 25 years or so where I know that if a storm is approaching a hot spot, of course, more Oklahoma is one of those, southwestern Nebraska, northern Kansas, south-central Kansas, noon in there, western Georgia, eastern Alabama, those plateaus up there kind of working the terrain. So I do think that it is important to keep an eye on those hot spots because they're, they're definitely happening for a reason, sometimes not meteorological, sometimes geological or the shape of the of the terrain, the geographical reasons on why those tornadoes are happening. But I think that it is important to keep in mind those hot spots. And sometimes, for example, I would deviate away from the I-44 corridor because the parameters look better in north central Oklahoma. And uh, that caused me in 2015 to miss the tornado that actually hit my house. And Gizmo was inside my house there in Norman when it was hit by the EF2. It blew the windows out, did some roof damage there. And that was an I-44 storm that developed down there. Uh, down near Lawton and came right up I-44 and then ended up hitting my house and Gizmo intercepted that tornado. The Dominator 1 was broken down in my driveway, that intercepted it. And I was working for Channel 4 on a different storm up near Fairview, Oklahoma. But if I had been more respectful of that hotspot, the I-44 corridor there, then I likely would have hedged a little bit south and then saw that storm developing not down near Lawton and just you know hung out in my backyard and had a picnic and then Watched the tornado hit my house. Oh my gosh. But then that the next day, so my windows were blown out by baseballs that came in horizontally. A, a, another supercell came in, and my whole family was down at OU for graduation 
fine. And then uh, the next day, all my windows were blown out by a destructive hailstorm. And I had the low-level insurance. I, I'm not very good with paperwork, so I kind of had the default insurance too. So I ended up getting like a Fisher-Price roof. <laughs> oh my gosh. Reed, that is so crazy. And I have one more quick question before the lightning round, but I have to ask you when it comes to like now casting and hurricanes and like forecasting like the eye of the hurricane and like if it shifts really quickly, is yeah. there any like tips you have for anybody chasing Henri tomorrow or like, you know, hurricanes or tropical cyclones in the future? For Henri, I would hedge off to the east. So the people that are thinking about staying on the eastern tip of Long Island, I think that you're set, setting yourself up for a bust there, maybe some offshore flow on the western side of that circulation. And if you know that the impacts are going to be relatively uniform way off to the east of the center, I wouldn't be so focused on getting that pressure minimum in the middle of the eye. I, I think that the impacts are, are what are going to be what you need to chase and also cover and help people warn people in the path of this storm with the rapidly evolving storm surge. So I think covering the surge near into the east of the center and targeting those inlets within the bay where you can get close to the uh, ocean safely, that's what I would recommend. And I think that this thing's going to shift off to the east. I have a feeling that the Bermuda High kind of being anomalously strong here these days, I think it's going to slide underneath the system and kind of prevent that northwestern turn over top that upper level low in the central Appalachian. So I would probably I'd recommend heading toward Narragansett Bay or even Martha's Vineyard. I think that that could get some pretty, pretty bad impacts there. But you, you don't get as much of a storm surge because it kind of wraps around the island. So maybe the Falmouth area, you could get some easterlies that'll pile up the water inside of that cove there. Uh, just, yeah, east of the center. That's the key. <laughs> good, good, good summary. Good wrap up. But hey, that's the sound. Uh, it's time for our lightning round. And so this is, uh, Reed, this is our game show. Uh, you've been on before, but our game show of flashy and brilliant questions that we always play with our guests. And, and we always invite everybody to play along with us. So tonight, and, and you've, you've uh, brought it up a couple times now uh, with Gizmo tonight. So we're going to play a game. Uh, we're just, it's going to be good old Gremlins Trivia. Gremlins Trivia. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know anything. So, I, so I, here's, it was a shot in the dark, but does Gizmo's name have anything to do with the movie Gremlins? It kind of does. She looked like a gremlin when we first got her. And uh, so that, that is, is where it came from. It did come from the movie Gremlins. But she grew up in a storm chaser house where like 10 of us storm chasers lived. So we saw her and we're like, wow, she's a gizmo. This looks like gizmo. So, All right. Well, so so we're, we're just doing uh, good old Gremlins trivia, and I'm, I'm going to make it easy. I've just got uh, a few general statements, but really it's true or false. You just have to say if you think uh, the statement is true or if it's false. And uh, the co-hosts, are, our freaks, can chime in if, if, they, uh, if they feel, uh, I guess, they've got something to share. So here's, here's the first one, Reed. The original Gremlins script included the Gremlins eating Billy's dog, then decapitating his mom and throwing her head down the stairs. Is that true or false? False. Oh, no! That, that is true. That In the original script, now that, that obviously has changed, wow. but the very first script that's is a little, little dark. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> A little dark. All right, here, here's the next one. Uh, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler is the voice of Gizmo. 
True or false? False. That's that's correct. It's actually Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel was the voice of Gizmo. All right, here's the next one. Uh, Michael Winslow. Now, Michael Winslow, if, if any of you remember the old Police Academy movies, he, he was the guy that made all the sounds and, and all that stuff. In, um, here, true or false, he helped voice the gremlins. Is that true or false? Got to be true. That is true. All right. Uh, and then uh, 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 gremlins came out right in the 80s. Yeah. So uh, true or false, actors like Emilio Estevez and Judd Nelson were in contention for the role of Billy. So th- both of those guys were Breakfast Club uh, actors, right? But true or false, they were they were in contention to play Billy. False. That was true. They actually were. Hold on to that question for a false. What what kind what kind of movie would that have been with uh, Emilio Estevez in it? I don't know. All right, here we go. At one point, at one point uh, during the writing of the movie. Gizmo and Stripe, who was like the evil gremlin villain, uh, Gizmo and Stripe were actually supposed to be the same character. So Gizmo turned into Stripe. Is that true or false? True. It's actually true. At one point that was the case, and I think uh, I read they determined Gizmo was too cute to change, and (laughs) so they kept it. All right, we got two more. Gremlins came out at Christmas 1984. True or false? Seems a little bit early. I'm gonna go false. Uh, it is false, but but it did come out uh, in '84. But it was a summer release, not a Christmas oh. release. Oh wow! Uh, but many people think it's a Christmas movie because it it happens over Christmas, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Here's the last one. Uh, producer Steven Spielberg said he would not have cast Phoebe Cates as Kate. If she had done her topless scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High prior to Gremlins. True or false? Can you please repeat the question? (laughs) It was a lot of questions. That was Uh, a lot of words. Okay, so Steven Spielberg, he was the producer. uh, He said... He's, he said he would not have cast Phoebe Cates, who played Kate. Um, He would not have cast her had she done her topless scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, if that was done before Gremlins, he would not have cast her. Is that true or false? I'm going to say false. That is correct. That uh, She actually did do that movie before Gremlins, and, and so they still cast her. So, all right. Good job, Reed. That was great. Very good. Very, very good. You did that movie better than you thought you did. That's right. All right, go Gizmo. I heard Gizmo answered a couple of those questions for you. Was was probably <laughs> checking Google while while you were uh, while you were trying to answer those. So, uh, Reed, do us a favor. Uh, tell us a couple things first. How how can listeners find you uh, and your content online? But if you can also talk a little bit, I know you've been doing some teaching, uh, some online courses. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, you can find me at uh, Reed Timmer. Uh, Reed Timmer 2.0 on Facebook and Reed Timmer Acu on uh, Twitter. And uh, I am doing some classes at Varsity Tutors. We've already done like three classes so far. And the next class, which is coming up, is in late September. And that's going to be on how to be a storm chaser. So I'm going to kind of paint the roadmap on becoming a storm chaser and what it takes. You hear Gizmo 
is uh, extra fired up about. He's this got a dump. He's got to take a dump, man. Yeah, she might. She went this morning. Actually, she already went this morning, so I was pretty excited about that. So I think that two months bacon and probably her CBD oil too. She uh, takes doggy CBD, so she's probably ready for that. So we could both start winding down. Our bedtimes are both at about nine o'clock. We're early risers now in our old age. So we oh God, up. you are getting old. Holy That's crap! <laughs> Well, good. Well, I uh, appreciate appreciate you taking your time, everybody. We're going to go ahead. We will take uh, our final break so Gizmo can take a dump. Uh, we got more hashtag weather fools coming up and a visit from Weather Trollbot 5000. Uh, so stay with us. Joe Morowski from American Ninja Warrior, and you are listening to Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Let's take a drive under the moon. Let's take a drive under the somber sky. Let's take a drive under the moon. All right, guys, are you ready? It is weather fool time. And this is, I think, Phil's favorite part of the show because he comes with like a million different, you know, videos to show us, but he's got like five today. But I'm gonna go first. And Weather Fools is basically videos, photos of people that we see doing stupid things in weather and that they shouldn't be. And we're just like, why are you doing this? We've talked about you shouldn't talked about why you shouldn't be doing it and so many other things, yet they still do it. And this is recent. Actually, Reed, I know, was, you know, chasing the flooding right around this area. But this is the west side of Asheville. And I'm going to play this clip. I purposely stopped it at this point. And so what's going on since obviously this is a podcast, there was extreme flooding in western North Carolina. And you've got all these roadways covered with this muddy water. You can see tree branches and everything. And you just watch a car. You can hear it raining. And you watch this car like completely just driving on through, not, you know, caring at all. And you have no idea what the road is like underneath it. But it's it's well, absolutely crazy. Debris everywhere. So, yeah, there is debris everywhere. And I'm just like, you're destroying your engine. You have no idea what you're going to run over. Are you going to get stuck? I mean, it's wild. Reed, did you see some of these like similar images when you were chasing the flooding? Yeah, I was initially worried that that was going to be video of Dominator forehead do that. Not you, Reed. You're okay. <laughs> you're not yeah. a weather fool. <laughs> oh, I, I have my moments. No, you, I, I yeah, we Reed. We talk about it all the time. We're all hashtag weather fools. We're um, uh, if you're a chaser, a lot of times you're a hashtag weather fool. But this is true. This is very true. All right. Phil, you've got five. Yeah, so I've got a few I'm going to share. And, and uh, you know, I always tell people this this is our contribution to the uh, National Weather Service's Weather Ready Nation is by showing people what you should not do. But this is a Rock the South concert in Coleman, uh, Alabama. And you can see the storm storm moving in. And look at all these people outdoors, get, you know, getting ready for this uh, if they're not already watching the Rock the South concert. Uh, with storm clouds moving in, but um, uh, my guess is that's that's, that's not going to turn into a good sight. Uh, the second one I've got is, of course, uh, some flash flooding. This is in Illinois, 
And these are some pictures, but I'm, uh, some of the pictures start to zoom in on this. It's like a, uh, uh, a street that is a residential street that's flooded. There's some vehicles and trucks that aren't going through the street. But part of it is because if you look closer, there's some dude. There's a dude laying in the middle of the street. He's laying down in the water. Got his hands up. With yeah. with the you know what do you call that like the rock on hand longhorn. signals yeah Texas Longhorn yep rocking like laying right in the middle of the street what an idiot oh my god it's gosh. a crash flood enthusiast is that Reed no I'm just kidding <laughs> he's got yeah, at least he's got rank down there a flash flood guru in his natural habitat. He's, he's got a safety green on, so, you know, just to make sure he doesn't get hit. All right, the next one, uh, more flooding, but this is down in Mexico. And again, this is a, a kind of a residential little business section uh, street. And you can tell, like, the intersection here is, is completely underwater. And there's, there's a nice black SUV that's going to come in and think it's going to be able to go through this flowing water. What? Oh, wow. What? The heck? And it just gets the. There goes the front oh, bumper because wow. this is flowing. I mean, this water's moving, right? This. Oh, is you had you to do- see that was moving. Holy cow! Oh my gosh! But uh, yes, it's whether. You, oh, he backed out. He did oh, back out. Whoa! And then there's. Did you see that other one come by? Flying by, yeah. going backwards. Going backwards. He's going with the current though, so that you know that was helpful. Anyway, I can't believe he got out believe- of that. I was just about to say, I can't believe he's able to reverse that he me. wasn't swept away or she, whoever it was. Yeah, right. it ripped the bumper yeah. off, but the car could still drive out. That's incredible. Yeah. All right, next one. So this is this is kind of fun. So this is uh, uh, this. By the way, I believe this is an Atlanta Braves uh, game. No, Philadelphia Phillies. Sorry, this is at the Phillies. I think they were playing the Braves, but uh, I'm going to play this. And, and you can see they're playing the game. There's people out, you know, there's players out there. The stands are full. And then watch behind the Jumbotron. There's the oh, wow. wow. Look little at that, little streak of lightning. Uh, a no, crawler. I'd, I'd call that a big streak of lightning. <laughs> yeah, big streak yeah. Craw- crawling across like right there. And they're, they're still playing the game. God, oh. Major League Baseball is the worst the at, worst, at yeah. uh, making calls on that stuff. And then the last one I've got for you, uh, read more flash flooding. There's a lot of this going on, right? Turn around, don't drown. Um, this is in, where is this? Omaha. Uh, flash flooding in Omaha. And all these cars in the middle of the water of this street that uh, obviously got stuck and <laughs> because their flashers are on. And they don't know, I guess, why they, their car isn't running through the water that's past their hood. It's yes. You know, I don't well, know why. Well, a fun job, too. Yeah. yeah. At least he's got his window thing. wipers going, though, so yeah. he can <laughs> see where he's not going. Yeah, that's All right, good. there's another one. <laughs> yeah, oh so there God. you go. So that that's uh, my contribution. Awesome. MJ, let's see yours. Yeah, so I usually bring along the uh, those that have been contributed by some of our uh, listeners and, and a couple of our Patreon members. Curtis is here tonight. He shared a couple of them. And this one was definitely a fool, as you'll be able to see that water oh. is running over the windshield. Wouldn't matter oh if they had their wipers on or not. Uh, it was that is terrifying. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I don't know, <laughs> so um, I, I don't know where it is. But that was Southwest U.S. Probably Mount Play that again, just so you can see it. I bet that's Cedar City. 
Yeah. Oh my God. How, wow. I, you know, how, how is the car not just f- like full of water? How is it not full? Point? Yeah, exactly. I wondered that I'll same thing. the window too, at least. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Curtis, for, for that one. Uh, he shared a couple, but that one was the one that definitely was, was foolish. Uh, Tim, Timothy Veltman, also with us tonight, shared a couple. Uh, and these really, this is really foolish. So we're going to run this one. And you can see it's a tornado or it's a water spout coming on the land, actually. Uh, and it just it comes on and the things are flying. And these people are, frankly, way too close to be filming this. But look at the shed that wow. blows up. There's a person there. If wow. you look at so you got to go back and look at this one, folks, because these Holy people are ridiculous cow. that they're that out there watching crazy. that. So that I'm going to stop close. it now because that part was the foolish part right there. So don't do that. OK, <laughs> so go go take a look at that one. And we have another one that involves a tornado. And this time someone's driving, also shared by Timothy. Uh, and they're going to drive through debris all over the road. Things are flying at them. Trees are falling next to them. Uh, and it's just nasty. Um, it, it, yeah. So a little foolish, perhaps there. Unless you're educated and, you know, you've got a vehicle like Reed does, then no. Yeah. yeah. Right. You need the Don't dominator, do right? You, you need, need the dominator. You need the dominator. Yeah. For, that was for sure. Three, that tornado. <laughs> right. That was, that was a what? What'd you say, Reed? I think that tornado was the EF3, right? Was that the one east of Bosco? Bosco? Uh, Bosco, yeah. Bosco, yep. Bosco, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. That's so then um, this one was shared by at MLC Storm Chaser Giovanni. Uh, and, and you watch this, and um, it there's. It's in Spanish, but you watch. There's a there's a storm. You can see it and, and coming on shore, right? They're on a beach, and and at first he showed or they showed whoever's taking the picture showed a a parachuter coming. I don't know where they got dropped off with that storm coming, but he's going to go back and show it again. And that oh parachute is coming down. Plus, there's people out in the water still, and you can see some lightning flashed in there. But you watch the parachuter disappears over the, the like the hotels. <laughs> I don't know where they landed. But, oh my god that's a little little foolish plus the people all out in the water so um again you know don't don't uh don't tempt the weather folks yeah oh my god these were some good ones those are like dozens of weather fools right there uh, if you want to see and you guys want to go see some of these videos because they are insane go to stormfrontfreaks.com episode 138 um show notes and you'll see all the links to all of them there they're amazing so you need to go All right, it is now time for Weather Trollbot 5000. For those who don't know, this is an awesome little computer robot thing that Phil found at a garage. He did some reprogramming and had this thing be able to tell you um, what meteorologists were really thinking when they replied to these certain certain tweets or social media appearances. Phil, tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, so uh, so we yeah we brought uh, Weather Trollbot five thousand in again tonight, and and so the first one I'm going to share with you again is from one of our Patreon members, Josh uh, Burnham, and this was directed to Felicia Combs at the Weather Channel, uh, and and it was from Thomas Forgione. Like we're not afraid to put people under the bus if you're going to say stupid crap uh, to folks, right? Um, but here's what Tom said to Felicia. He said, hi, Felicia, lose the glasses. They're not flattering on you, Tom. Nice. Okay. 
And, and of course, our weather friends, they're always very professional when they respond, Reed, and you are too. I've seen how, how you respond to people. Uh, very professional, uh, very upfront. And, and so Felicia said, hi, Tom, I can't see two feet ahead of me without glasses, but being mean is also not flattering. Felicia. Okay. So, so it was very, you know, it was very nice. He said, don't be mean kind of a deal, but here's the truth. We all know when Felicia first read uh, Tom's statement, hi, lose the glasses. They're not flattering on you. That's probably not what Felicia was thinking. And so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to plug all this stuff into weather Trollbot, um, And then she's going to kick out what Felicia was really thinking when she responded. So I just got to type it in. So she computes it out, and then uh, here, here's, uh, here's what uh, Weather Trollbot says. Here is what Felicia was really thinking. Are you my f***ing optometrist or stylist? I didn't think so, Tom. Shut your pie hole. So there That's you go. So, so, you know, she, she could, obviously Felicia calmed down once she posted what she, But, you know, we all feel that way when we see this crap, right? So... All right, so, so Reed, that's, that's how we find out what people were really thinking. So, All right, so here's the next one. Uh, this was uh, an email to Caitlin Wright, who's a meteorolo uh, meteorologist in Charlotte, and it was from Nancy. And, and this email said, can you please wear better dresses? The dresses are too tight. You're pregnant. They look nasty, really. But you are pretty. Love, Nancy. Oh, thank God. So, Passive aggressive. <laughs> But you are pretty, right? So, so, uh, so here's what Caitlin responded. Actually, she posted this on social media. She said, uh, "This was an email I just got. I am due on Friday." Nancy uncalled for. Good for her. Okay. There you go. Good for her. But, but I'm I'm curious, as I'm sure everybody is, what 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 Caitlin was really thinking, right? Getting that response. Wear better dresses. They're too tight. You're pregnant. Look nasty. All that stuff. So let's type that in. Are you really typing? Yeah, I'm pretty quick, don't you think? <laughs> okay, let's see. Here's what Caitlin was really thinking. Nancy, I'm not Amish. I'm pregnant. The dresses will fit just fine after Friday, so off. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I like that. that. So awesome. That's that's perfect. Well done. Hmm. That I, it, I, you know, it's funny. I almost like it, if that had been me, I probably would have been thinking something very similar as well. Oh, yeah. But um, I'll never but, understand right, what makes people think it's okay to say and do that. If anyone's know. listening to this and thinks it's okay to email that into anybody it's ever, so stop. Yes, <laughs> I, I really don't. I really, I don't get it. It's so stupid. But, but I'll tell you, whether Trollbot would still be sitting in someone's garage at a garage sale had. You know, we not been able to reprogram her because people did stupid crap like that. All right, last one I got. Uh, good old Janice Dean, uh, longtime uh, supporter of the show, been on a number of times at uh, from Fox News. Uh, this was on Twitter. This was from Coach Why Not A at Coach Why Not A. I don't know, maybe Canadian, but said to Janice Dean, "Why is the weather girl doing news?" And, uh, and Janice Dean just simply replied, watch the interview, right? Like, hey, yeah. just watch the interview. Stop being a jerk. But, but we all love what Janice probably was really thinking. So we're going to do the same thing. Uh, when, when you said, why is the weather girl doing news? Plug that in. OK. 
Okay. Oh, backspace. Whoops. Okay, got it. All right, what was Janice thinking? Here is what Janice was really thinking. Why is this stick allowed on Twitter? <laughs> that is perfect. That's right. perfect. Yes. Why is the weather girl? Uh, why is the weather girl doing news? Why is the you know allowed on Twitter? That makes sense. I love it. Makes sense. Perfect. So, uh, yep. So that's uh, read. That's weather trollbot five thousand for you. So, if if you ever want to share your trolls on social media, we'll find them and and we'll interpret what, probably what you were thinking. Got a lot of them when we were doing that. So send them our way. drop me a line. You've got mail, baby. Yeah. All right, MJ, what do we got in the box? Yeah, we've got mail. So um, apparently in the last uh, the last episode, uh, Phil created some controversy with a uh, the favorite soda of Oklahoma being oh. uh, Dub- Dublin Dr. Pepper. And mm-hmm. um, it, there was a there was some, uh, you know, heated back and forth going on. Brolin McKay checked in, said, I love listening to SFF. Stormfront Freaks. But if we aren't given an apology and a retraction on the next episode, I will send a strongly worded letter. (laughs) And Weather Trollbot will respond. I can tell you. There you go. (laughs) So, but thanks for checking in, Brolin. We always appreciate it. No matter what it is our folks have to say, we appreciate you checking in. Um, So, uh, at Johnny Glesner checked in on Twitter, says, always makes the drive to a chase target much more enjoyable with a Stormfront Freaks podcast. Always great to hear forecast tips from folks like Skip and Victor as well. So uh, Johnny was listening to the last episode, actually sent a picture uh, on the way to a storm chase with their phone up with the uh, podcast plan. So thanks, Johnny, for that. And uh, Jen Walton checked in as well, says, really looking forward to listening to this series and adding to my chasing edumacation. So, um, so I th- and I think this uh, this series of three has gotten a lot of uh, traction on, on the social media. And I'm glad all of you are listening. And I think you're learning some great things. So we certainly appreciate uh, uh, all, everybody who's been on read you tonight and, and Skip and everybody last uh, last time. Really appreciate that. And thanks, everybody, for checking in. Always remember, you can uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, just look for the Stormfront Freaks. And uh, or send us an old fashioned email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com. There you go. But be nice or weather trollbot 5000 will interpret right. that one too. So, <laughs> so hey, I think that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast. Thanks for listening or watching. And before I announce uh, who our next guests are going to be, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe to or follow the Stormfront Freaks Network. So you get notified and you receive the latest episodes of our show and El Nino's uh, delivered right to your podcast player the moment that we release those. Uh, Also visit patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks and you can check out all the ways we can do more with you and you can also help support the show. Like uh, it's our live access to view and chat during our raw video recordings like tonight with Reed. Uh, We've got exclusive merch and, and you can even join us and our guests in the green room like uh, Angela and Dan tonight as well. Uh, just go ahead and visit patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Uh, we'd love to have you join the team. And, and again, thank you for supporting the show. Special thanks tonight to uh, Dr. Reed Timmer. Reed, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Uh, 
and and it was good good having you on gizmo on as well uh but good stuff always good stuff and and uh this is always fun to listen to our next episode so we're going to be back in a couple weeks recording live and raw for our patreon members gizmo uh it's going to be thursday september 2nd with part three of our storm training series as we talk with storm chasers uh picos hank shima and rachel sanner they're going to be talking about identifying your storm uh, and sing it with me. You've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Right? So you got, you got to know like when to give up or when to keep chasing. But uh, we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, the audio podcast is going to be up and available the following Sunday as well. So for uh, MJ, Jen, Serena, Reed, Angela, Dan, uh, we're going to go ahead and signal the all clear, and we will catch you guys next time. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Night. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app, and watch our live and recorded shows on YouTube. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you are there, check out our live interactive storm chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.